Well, as you, if you've been with us for uh, the past few weeks, you know that we have been in this sermon series called Rooted as we're looking at um, these core values and doctrines and um, priorities that our church and the global church is rooted in. And today we're looking at the topic of community, which is both a core practice for us, which means that's one of the things that we're committed to doing together um, and a way of life that we're committed to. It's also a core value, uh, so, which, which means that um, it's one of our goals. It's what we're striving towards, which means with all goals, you're not there yet and you need to work toward it. And so that's what we're looking at today. And as we look at this passage that was just read, let me pray for us. Lord, may you speak to us this morning words that we need to hear. May this be a time of healing, a time of comfort, a time of challenge, of disruption, a time of repair. Lord, may all the words of my mouth and the thoughts of all of our hearts here together be pleasing to you, our rock and our redeemer. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. So community, how does that word sit with you? My guess is that it's complex. You have a complicated relationship to the word community. Now, I have a bookmark uh, folder on my browser with dozens of articles on community and friendship and human connection and interaction. And one of my favorites is um, from a few years ago, 2014, uh, in the Huffington Post, an author named Boonmi Ladidon, and I'm sure I am butchering that name, but she's writing about what it's like um, as a mother raising a daughter in a modern world. And she said this, she put it this way. She said, I miss the village I never had. The one with mothers doing the washing side by side, clucking and laughing hysterically, tired in body, but quick in spirit. We'd know each other so well, annoying one another from time to time, but never staying mad long because the truth is, we need each other. I miss the village I never had. Do you miss the village? I know I do. So where did it go? Now on that bookmark list of, uh, of articles, you will find that um, you'll find this theme, whether you're reading the Atlantic or New York Times op-ed or whatever it is, people will tell you that more and more the average population in the West is lonely. We are lonely, and not only we are lonely, you'll see in, in the UK there is a minister of loneliness. There are people that publicly are looking at how do we tend to this epidemic of loneliness because it's not just that we're lonely, it's that loneliness will kill us, the research says. That loneliness has an impact on our health. And so nations and communities are trying to ask the question, how do we solve this problem of loneliness? How do we build community? And, um, and here's the thing, admin have picked up on this and they try to sell it to you, right? I recently read an article about a necklace with a charm on it that had two wings and it said that this necklace would foster community. Just last week, I saw a pair of jeans that was being sold and on the label, it said your community. Like, how are genes going to build community? But they know we want it, and everybody is trying to sell it to us. I've even preached here in this pulpit about community and how, um, 
and how loneliness may actually be the greatest mission field of our day because people are asking, how can I build community? So if all of those articles that are written, if the secular canon tells us that we're lonely and that we need community, if everybody's telling us that we lack community and everyone else is trying to sell it to us, then why don't we have it? Where did it go? Where did the village go? Well, some people might say, well, it was the car's fault. We built um, the automobile and then we built roads and so our cities have broken down. We drive all over the place. We don't walk and we don't see each other. So the car took it. The car took the village. Other people say, no, it was the internet. It was this, um, this social network sort of experiment where we're now connected to the global village, but yet we're disconnected from people in our own towns in real life, real people that we can connect with. Um, or other people say it's TV. We watch too much TV or entertainment. We don't, we've replaced community with these other things and with, with technology. Some people say, well, no one sits on the front porch anymore. We don't sit on our stoops. We don't talk to our neighbors, and so we feel isolated and alone. And um, one of the, the greatest writers on this theme who was sounding the alarm years ago, at the end of the 20th century, he studied, Robert Putnam uh, wrote a book called Bowling Alone. He studied the fall and the breakdown of community in America. And he went through all these various factors, economic, social, political, um, technological, all these different factors. And here's what he found. He, you know, you may even think, well, the problem is just we're so busy. We're so busy today that we don't have time for community. And he said time is not even a factor for community because it, the research shows that people with less time have somehow found greater connection. And people with lots of free time often find less connection, that there's not a causation or correlation between the amount of time that you have and the quality of your community. And what he essentially said is that there's no one factor that we can point to. All of those things are these confluence of factors that have broken down community, and there's no one thing that we can blame it on. So where did it go, and how do we get it back? Well, there's one factor that you never hear talked about because I don't think we like to admit it. Um, you won't find this in the Atlantic. You won't find this in an op-ed piece. Um, but here's one reason that I think we have a hard time building community. We don't really like each other. We don't like each other. See, it's not that there is a, a lack of supply. I mean, this room is full of people. Our cities are full of people. We just don't want to be friends with any of them. We're wondering if maybe someone better will come along that we actually will like, and they'll like us back. See, we don't like each other because relationships are painful and messy, and we hurt one another. We disappoint one another. And so we wonder, when you take away all the structures of community, all the things that kept us together, um, if, it's, if it's really worth the effort. And this is a point that the scriptures make loud and clear. If we, if we zoom out and we look at the story of humanity, we see that one of the reasons we, for the breakdown of community is our own selves. 
so that we hurt one another and we don't like one another. If you look in this passage, this beautiful passage that was read, um, written by Paul and Timothy to the church in Colossae, that first chunk of characteristics you saw there in verses 5 through 9, they tell us to put to death all these things that are earthly or natural within us. Sexual immorality, coveting, anger, malice, wrath, slander, lying to one another. So what are they doing in this passage? They're saying to the Colossians, you used to live this way. You used to live with sexual morality and lying and and anger and malice, but now you should put it away. You should put it to death, which um, is another way of saying there's a way of life that comes naturally. And And that way of life, all of those things are the things that break down community, right? Have you ever thought about that? The, thing, the, the list that he gives us, they're things that break down community. Community breaks down when you commit adultery with someone, when you sleep with someone else's wife. Community breaks down when you covet one another's stuff. Community breaks down when you lie to one another, when you don't keep your commitments. Community breaks down when you're ruled by anger and wrath and you hate one another it breaks down when you slander and gossip about one another see we're so individualist in the west that uh, we often think of sin as things that i commit against god and and maybe only secondarily think about the things that we do against other human beings who bear his image but in this list paul is showing us that And Timothy both are are writing this passage together, showing us that our sins break down community. Our sins are not just against God, but they're against one another. And because we sin against one another, community suffers. And you might think, well, yeah, but we don't do that in the church, right? Christian communities don't do that. And yet, if you've been around the church long enough, you know we do. We do. We have infidelity in our marriages. We lie to one another. We break our promises. We gossip. We slander. That's why Paul says to put it to death, to put it away. You don't have to put it away if you just become a Christian and then it's on, right? He says, no, put it away. Put this to death, what is earthly and natural in you. And so if you zoom out, what he's saying is that, that here's the story of, of, of humanity. We were created by a relational God, a God who lives in eternal community, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. We've called this throughout history the Trinity, the three-in-one. That's in some mysterious way, God is both one and three, that he lives forever in community, as C.S. Lewis called it, the dance of the Trinity, that God is a relational God in community with himself. And he created humanity to reflect his image in the world, not out of loneliness, because he existed in perfect love, perfect harmony, perfect joy and laughter, but to share that love with humanity. And yet, um, in that story of creation, we find that God says it's not good for man to be alone. 
that it's not good for humanity to be alone. Humanity created in the image of God is meant to be lived in community. So he created this institution of marriage to populate the world, to build cities, to create communities so that people could live with one another as communal human beings living relationally relating to other people. And yet in the fall, that relationship is cursed. And we see if we, if we were to go back and read the first few chapters of Genesis, we would see this fall, we would see the curse, and we'd see that even in humanity, there is a curse where enmity and strife would be between human beings. At, and at the fall, we weren't just alienated from God, we were also alienated from one another cut off from one another. And that's why the very next story we get is Cain and Abel, where Cain murders his brother out of enmity and jealousy. The same things we're seeing in this very passage. So every village is broken. Every human relationship is broken. Every marriage is precarious. Every parent-child relationship is fraught with difficulty. Every employer-employee relationship, every relationship bears the mark of sin and the curse. And enmity and strife are at work in all of our relationships. So what that means is that um, building community is difficult because we self-sabotage our relationships by wounding others by doing all these things in this list, by disappointing and frustrating, by talking too much or talking too little, by standing one another up, by gossiping, by offending, by coveting one another, competing with one another, we sabotage the very community that we desire. But what it also means is that that we engage in community as those who have been wounded, as those who have been lied to, as those whose promises have been broken, as those who have been betrayed, as those who have been wounded by others. So not just the enterprise of community is difficult, but the risk of community is difficult because we've tried and failed and tried and failed and tried and failed, and we wonder if it's worth it. Is it worth it to try again? which means that it's okay to be lonely in this world. Most people I know experience loneliness. And I would say if you experience loneliness, that's not a sign that something's wrong with you. That's a sign that something is wrong with the world, that we live in a cursed world, especially in this modern world. If, if you feel loneliness, that means that something's right that you're perceiving that this community is broken, that every relationship is marked by sin. And sometimes your loneliness is, is actually the appropriate response to this world. And we need to just lament that our families are broken, our friendships are broken, our churches are broken. The community we desire is not what it's supposed to be. And so there is grief and pain in that. So you might say, okay, well, all you've said is that we don't have community because we're sinners. Can it really be that old fashioned? 
can that really be the answer? Well, yes, I think it can in part. But what I'm saying is that when you take away all the factors, all the structures that, that put us together, left to our own devices, we often... We often think that community is not worth it and our relationships crumble as those who wound and the wounded. Um, Philosopher David Hume put it this way in his famous parable of the farmers. He says there's two farmers, but they don't trust one another. This is what one of them says. Your corn is ripe today. Mine will be so tomorrow. Tis profitable for us both that I should labor with you today and you should aid me tomorrow. I have no kindness for you, and no, you have as little for me. I will not, therefore, take any pains upon your account, and should I labor with you upon my own account, an expectation of a return, I know I should be disappointed, and that I should in vain depend upon your gratitude. Here, then, I leave you to labor alone. You treat me in the same manner. The seasons change, and both of us lose our harvest for want of mutual confidence and security. See, when we take away trust, we take away the bonds, we don't want to risk community. We don't trust one another. We think if I engage in this, then maybe it won't be given back in return, and we both suffer. We all suffer when we make that wager. So what I'm saying is that um, that I just want us to be aware of what we're up against. Not only are we up against the fact that people don't sit on their front porches anymore and we don't walk to work and we watch too much TV, but we're also against, up against something greater. We're up against sin and the curse and the enmity and fragility of all of our relationships. We're broken And we need to be put back together again, which is exactly what Paul and Timothy say happens when we repent and put our faith in Jesus. Did you catch that in verse 10? He puts it this way. He says that that you have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. When we believe in Jesus, Our sins don't go away, our problems don't go away, our loneliness doesn't go away, but in some way we become new people, new selves that are being changed, being renewed, that we're being reconciled to God, and because we're being reconciled to God, we're also reconciled to other people, to other people who have put their faith in Jesus. So a lot of times we think of salvation, and again, in individualistic terms, we think God has forgiven my sins. He's given me a new identity. I'm going to go to heaven when I die. My sins are forgiven. I receive the eternal smile of God, my Father, over my life. But it's more than that. It's that we get a new community. We get a new village. We're called to this new village. And that's why he tells us in in the following verses, all these things that we need to do to be members of this new village. Because we're under the curse and we're prone to destroying every community that we have, we've got to put on characteristics, some new virtues. And he says this new village that you have 
is actually not bound in the way that your other villages were bound. This new village, if you look then in verse 11, there's, there's not Greek or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave-free, but Christ is all and in all. He says this new village is a diverse, multicultural, multilinguistic, multi-class village with people from all different backgrounds, from all different ages, from all different family cultures coming together in a new village, which if you've ever done that before, you know that means it's going to be difficult. Because when we choose people who look and sound and are educated like us and have the same amount of money that we have and take vacations the way that we do, there's a little more chemistry. But when we have people coming from all backgrounds the way the church always does, then community is more difficult. It's more difficult to build community. So you're going to need some things. You're going to need some things for this new village. And these are, as he's doing this, he's writing as a group to a group. Paul and Timothy writing to the church, this multicultural group of people who've put their faith in Jesus here in the city of Colossae. And he says, to, to do all of these things, you all do all of these things for one another. See, I grew up in the South where we have this like um, second person plural, y'all. Um, I tend to hide that. But if my mom calls, it comes out immediately. Or if I cross back into the South, it just start, starts coming out all the time. But the New Testament, um, often in, in giving these imperatives of living in community, says, y'all, y'all should do this together. And that's what's going on here is he's telling this community, here are the things that y'all need to live in the new village. When you become citizens of this new village, which is a future village. Remember in those opening verses, he says, when Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. He says, you are a future person. You are a citizen of a future village. Someday you will be like Christ. And so live out the values of that kingdom and that village here now. And to do that, you need these virtues. To live in this new village, you need to put on the new self. You need compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, patience. Did you notice that there was still in the new village, there was like this idea of um, complaints against one another? Verse 13, wait, I thought like if we're doing this right, we wouldn't have any problems. No, in the new village, there's still problems. You still have complaints against one another, but you need healthy conflict and repair forgiveness, forgiving one another. And above all, he says, put on love. These are the virtues that you need to live in the new village. But if we back up to verse 5 and we look again at verse 12, there's this idea of something has to happen. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, verse 5, and then verse 12, put on then as God's chosen holy ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and all those virtues that he lays out there. So something has to change. To be involved, to build this new village, something has to change. It takes some effort. So I'm going to just quickly give you four things. This is the time for you to take notes if you're a note taker. Four things. 
It takes initiation, determination, imagination, and imitation. Hopefully those don't sound too much like a locker room poster, um, but maybe they are. Um, initiation. If we're to build a, a new village centered on Jesus, it takes initiation. You've got to do something. You've got to put to death some practices. You've got to repent. You've got to put on some new virtues. You've got to grow in these things, which means that you have to initiate. Often we think community will just fall out of the sky if we just show up. If we just show up, then, then we'll have it. You know, the way we talk about this often betrays betrays that very point. A lot of times, you know, I've, I've only been in Santa Barbara for about two years, but I'll talk to a friend somewhere else and they'll say, have you, have you found friends yet in Santa Barbara? What's the implication there? That if you just live there, then you'll, a friend will just pop up, right? You'll just find one one day when you're, you're looking for it. But no, we, we don't find friends. We make friends, We forge friendships. We don't consume community. We create it. We build community. And so to build community, to have a Jesus-centered community, we've got to initiate community, which means we've got to be a people who take the first step. Every community, every relationship under the sun is there because someone took the first step. Someone spoke the first word. Someone sent the first text, made the first contact, sent the first invitation. Community takes initiation. It doesn't just fall from the sky. And and that's especially true in this new village because we didn't choose one another. We were chosen people, holy and beloved, chosen by God to be in this new village with a bunch of people who are different from us. And so we've got to take the first step and initiate, which means for us, um, we've got to ask people out to lunch. If you can't afford lunch, ask someone to go for a walk. Or if you say, hey, yeah, we're, we're going to watch TV. I know we're all going to watch TV anywhere. Let's, let's watch TV together. Or let's talk about the shows that we like together means we've got to send a text to someone. We've got to celebrate other people's birthdays, which means we've got to remember their birthdays. Um, we've got to call people for no reason. I know like lots of people in the world, you know, the age of texting hate to get calls. They say they hate to get calls. They don't. Everyone loves to get a call for no reason. I had a friend once who was not a Christian. But he was one of the best community builders I've ever met. And every time we parted, he would say, if you get bored, call me. It was an open invitation to relationship. As a community here at Christ Press, we have initiated some community. We have church every Sunday, but this is not enough. Showing up at 36 East Victoria is not enough to get to know one another. So we've committed to community groups and church membership. Because if if the Bible tells us to love one another and bear with one another and forgive one another, we've got to know who we are called to forgive. So we've bound, we've created some bonds of community through making these vows to one another in membership. And then we've further created community 
by committing to regular fellowship with one another through community groups. But here's what I'm going to tell you that most pastors won't. Church membership and community groups will not scratch the itch. They alone are not enough to cure your loneliness. You can be involved in these groups, and what you'll find is because relationships are messy, that people will offend you, that you will step on one another's toes. People will disappoint. They'll stand you up. They'll forget your birthday. They'll forget to pick you up. Our community groups will not scratch the itch of community that we desire, but they are ways to initiate and move us toward the community that we desire. But here's the thing. When you initiate community, you get tired, right? Some people are more prone to initiate and pursue, and they will send out the text. They will host the party. They will invite you over for dinner. But after a while, you get tired of doing that because sometimes people don't do it back to you. And so to have a village, a new community centered on Jesus, it also takes determination. Um, I tell this to a lot of college students who graduate. So if you guys, if any of you are in that stage where you're about to graduate, this is where you um, need to remember this point. Because for your entire life, there has been community initiated on your behalf for the most part, through the life of an institution, through schools, through dorm life, through youth groups, through sports. And then you graduate and you just like drive off the cliff and you look at your calendar and the only thing on your calendar are the things that you have programmed yourself because there's not a youth pastor programming it for you. There's not a dorm or a fraternity or something programming it for you. You've got to program it for yourself and you've got to be determined. You have to keep taking steps. Now we get tired of initiating because um, we don't always receive it back. And to the people who, you know, you ask yourself, am I initiator of community? Do I pursue? Do I build community? Has God given me that gift? If so, know that you will grow tired. You will grow weary. And you'll say, is it worth it? Because all my texts are outgoing. And all my friendships, I'm the one pursuing. And if you're not a pursuer, then you need, to take, you need to learn how to take the first step. You need to become one. You need to pick up that skill because community requires some people doing that. But if you are a pursuer, one who initiates, you need to be determined. You need to not give up. Don't give up. Keep doing it. And in the text here, we see one of the reasons why we give up, right? It's because we have complaints against one another. Conflict. Once you engage in community, whether it's marriage or parenting or friendship, any level of community, there is conflict. And we don't like conflict, do we? We do not like conflict. If you do like conflict, um, I don't understand you. There are people like that. Any eight Enneagrams out there, uh, if you know that language? If not, don't worry about it. Um, so so if, <laughs> some people like conflict. And for them, conflict is like exciting, like we're connecting now. <laughs> the rest of us um, do everything we can to avoid it. But there will be, communi- there will be conflict in this new community 
of the church in this new village. And when there is conflict, there is an opportunity for growth. Whether marriage or friendship or any other relationship, where there is conflict, there is an opportunity for repair. To voice your complaint. To forgive one another as Christ has forgiven you. So don't give up. Don't give up when it gets hard. That's why verse 12 tells us that one of the things we need for this new village is patience. Because it's not going to come in one weekend. When you say, okay, I'm going to do what Joshua told me. I'm going to go buy some tri-tip. I'm going to grill it. I'm going to send out some text. I'm going to invite some people. And then it didn't, didn't really give you what, what you wanted. It didn't really work. Or you say, I'm going to join the community group. I'm going to do it. And maybe you go through a year of community group, and it's not there yet. It's not there yet because community takes time, which means we have to be patient. But there's another aspect to determination that we don't often uh, make this connection very readily. But, but did you notice um, in verses 15 through 17 how often thankfulness came up, gratitude? It says to be thankful to worship with other Christians with thankfulness in your hearts to God or with gratitude in your hearts to God. And it ends with giving thanks to God the Father through him. See, if we are determined to build community, one of the, one of the qualities we really need is gratitude. And gratitude takes time because we have to look back and consider all that we have. Because in our day and age, dissatisfaction and instant gratification is what rules the day. And so often we can look at our neighbor and say, you're not enough for me. You're not a good enough friend. You're not a good enough community because you're not yet what I want you to be. This is not yet what I want you to be. And we can look at it from a position of dissatisfaction instead of a position of gratitude. But community takes being grateful for one another and actually voicing that gratitude to one another. Because the people who are pursuing need to hear, thank you for inviting me. The people who are just trying it for the first time need to hear, thank you. People need to say, thank you for bearing the image of God to me today. Thank you for the friendship that you have offered. Thank you for showing up and being here. Christine Pohl, who's written a lot on community and hospitality, put it this way. She says, dissatisfaction as a way of life is encouraged by a consumerist culture that feeds notions of entitlement. We want more and we want better, better bodies, newer cars, bigger churches, more beautiful homes, finer coffee. Guilty of that one for sure. Um, somehow wanting these things morphs into the sense that really we deserve them. A cycle of generalized dissatisfaction fuels envy, striving, and buying. We need to give thanks. I remember talking to a mentor once years ago and saying, I feel like I keep pursuing these people and I don't know if they're really my friends or not because they're not pursuing me back. And I look at my texts and I see that they're all outgoing. No one's texting me. I look at these relationships from years past with college roommates that I'm trying to hold together. 
I wonder if I have friends. I wonder if I have any community. I feel lonely. And he said, God promises to give you your daily bread. And, and, th- and he calls us to give thanks for daily bread. So can you give thanks for the community that you do have? And I think as we give thanks and live in gratitude, we become more determined and the people around us become more determined to engage in community with us. We have to be thankful and live with gratitude and not entitlement, which means that we have to, you know, sometimes we can even have entitlement over the community and the friends that we want. We have to choose gratitude. And to do that, a Jesus-centered community takes imagination. There are two ways that it takes imagination. One, you see very clearly there in the text that um, this new village is a liturgical community as they are, and we are called to sing songs to one another, to use art, music, different forms, hymns and spiritual songs and psalms, to sing to one another, to worship together, teach one another, admonish, which actually means to warn one another, which again invites conflict that we don't like. But, but a worshiping community is this new village in Christ that we're called to. We need to worship together. Worship inspires our imagination and it, and it calls us to imagine what could be. So we worship together and teach and pray for and sing to one another. That's why some of our songs are actually singing to one another. Maybe you haven't noticed that. But then there's another way that we need imagination. It, it, it takes imagination to look at the person beside you and say, you are not my competitor. I'm not going to see you as, as one who's competing with me. I'm going to see you as a co-image bearer, as a creature, as one created by God worthy of dignity. And even further, I'm going to imagine what it could be like to be in relationship with you because I'm going to imagine what a more sanctified, whole version of you looks like. See, this is why I love Mr. Rogers. And I'm aware like there's a new movie coming out next week. I really wish it had come out last week because I'm sure there's a lot of like good zingers in there for the sermon. But, you know, what does he say in his song? Would you be my neighbor? Could you be my neighbor? Won't you be my neighbor? Would you? Can you imagine it? Could you be my neighbor in an age of entitlement and instant gratification and rivalry and competition? Could you? Is it possible? Can we imagine being neighbors? Won't you be my neighbor? I've always wanted a neighbor like you. How can Mr. Rogers say that when what he knows about people is that they are um, full of all the things in the first list? enmity and strife and fighting and competing. He can only say that because he's imagining the best in that person. He's seeing the image of God and he's saying, we can be friends. We can be in community. And lastly, it takes imitation. All of this community building in the new village is built along with all of the commands in the New Testament. In this, it's grounded and rooted in this truth. We love because Christ loved us. We forgive, we bear with one another because Christ gave us. He looked at us, enemies 
rebellious enemies, and he made us his friends. And that is our inspiration. That's what compels us towards one another to live in this new village is imitating the love of Christ. So we befriend one another, even the people that, that we don't actually like. And we say, could you be my neighbor? Would you be my neighbor? We um, befriend the people who even stand us up from time to time because we know that we have stood others up from time to time. Um, we befriend the people who talk too much or too little, the people who don't invite us back because Christ has loved us. He has made us his friend. So we love out of humility and gratitude of being loved by God. And here's the thing, Jesus knows what it's like to be lonely. He knows what it's like to see the community around him broken by the curse. He knows what it's like to be betrayed by a friend. He knows what it's like to be abandoned by his disciples. He knows what it's like to, to die crucified by his own creation. And he knows what it's like to love unlovable people who don't pursue him back very well. And yet he calls us his friends in our loneliness, in our awkwardness, in our earthly self riddled with sin. He calls us his friends. And um, the author that I began the sermon with, she ends her article this way. She says, I miss the village of mothers that I've never had. The one we traded for homes that despite being a stone's throw feel miles apart from each other. The one we traded for locked front doors, blinking devices, and afternoons alone on the floor playing one-on-one -on -one with our little ones. What gives me hope is that as I look at you from across the park with your own child in tow playing in her own corner of the sandbox, I can tell from your curious glance and shy smile that you miss it too. You miss the village too. Maybe we'll have it again. Do you miss the village? Do you miss Eden? Do you miss those echoes of perfect community with God and one another? We will have it again. We will have it again. The community that, that we long for will be ours when Christ returns and brings the heavenly village home. Until that day, may we build a new village here through the grace of God. Amen.